You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the Breeders' Cup. Good morning, welcome to the show. Thanks for tuning in again. Much brighter and slightly less damp here in TW11 this morning and warm enough not to be too concerned for the foreseeable future with racing now set to go ahead, at least for the fixtures until Christmas. It is Tuesday, December the 20th. Yesterday at Punchestown, we finally got the running of the John Durkin Memorial Steeplechase, a grade one race in Ireland over two and a half miles in which Galopin Deschamps who was already the Gold Cup favourite going into the race, given his excellent novice form from last season, graduated to senior company with first-class honours in a romp. It was a day you felt, as I welcome in the Daily Mirror's newsboy, David Yates, that Willie Mullins, the multiple champion trainer in Ireland, was about to unleash shock and awe on his compatriots and his competitors as the Christmas season approaches. He certainly did. There were a number of Willie Mullins stars that we were still waiting to see uh, this season, and, and that remains the case with a few. But obviously, Galapande Sean was the, the, the name at the top of our list. He's been the Cheltenham Gold Cup favourite even before the disappointing run of reigning title holder Aplutar in the Betfair Lancashire chase at Haydock last month. If a horse starts nine to two on, what exactly can they do to impress you? I think that, that they start off um, pretty much up against it in that sense. But there were aspects of that performance yesterday with Galapin Deschamps, I think that demonstrated things that we didn't quite know before. As a novice, obviously he was brilliant. We remember that he was beating Bob Ollinger uh, senseless, senseless in the Turner Novices chase at Cheltenham uh, when he came down at the last fence. Uh, my impression of this horse, and if you're a, a snooker fan going back a few decades, you will know what I mean. Did we have Jimmy White uh, when Galapin Deschamps was a novice? If so, I think now possibly we've got Stephen Hendrick. The wayward genius turning into the super reliable winning machine. Well, this is what the winning trainer, Willie Mullins, had to say about yesterday and, and whether this was the day where the Cliff Sutton season just cranked it up another notch. I certainly hope so. You know, I, I was very impressed with the three winners yesterday. Um, didn't expect Say to do that, but all I thought was very good on her, very clever on her. And got, you know, got a good win out for an illicit mayor's race. And then uh, I thought Gallup and Shop was just fantastic, way better than I'd expected. Um, the same would appreciate it. That's really interesting. You say it was way better than you expected. Uh, what what had you expected? I was hoping that, well, if both you don't expect, you, you hope that he gets a clear round, comes back safe, then you hope that if he, he can win. And then you hope that he can win impressive, and he, he did that yesterday. And plus the fact that he settled in his race. There was a loop in Paul's reins going past the winning pulse first time round. Uh, when Paul wanted to jump, he jumped. When he wanted to uh, just let him pop, he popped. And he did all the things you'd be hoping that horse might have learned from a year that was chasing. And then, you know, getting in against Packer, Dutery, 
four-time grade one winner, senior grade one winner. And uh, to do what he did against the likes of that, um, you know, a horse like that, I thought was very good. Is he an is he an easy horse to deal with? Eats, sleeps, drinks, goes out, no fuss. You don't have to make any special arrangements for him. Adam Condy looks after him. He does a great job. Uh, he gets everything. You know, he, he's he's relatively simple to to deal with. But from, from my point of view, anyway, Adam <laughs> never has any problems with him. He never comes back to me with any problems. I think he said to me he, he mightn't have up once in the whole autumn we just gave him a few easy days after that in case there was something brewing but other than that he was very I, I, he hadn't been on my radar at all um, because you're targeting these horses quite carefully at the, at the grade one races how much of a how much of a nuisance was it to have it keep push back push back push back or or was it not really a bother at all well once I'd made up my mind that I was going there um, I said well that's it you know whenever they're going to run it and hopefully they do run it which they did yesterday uh, that was it. It was just where we were going. Let's jump that hurdle first, and then we'll figure out the next, uh, the next race. You know, which I haven't even tried, haven't even looked at yet. Just delighted to get over yesterday. Do you see any issue with him staying three and a quarter miles? None. Never have. You know, he won three miles over hurdles as a younger horse. So I, uh, you know, I, I can't see any problem with. Um, Three miles over fences. Even three and a quarter miles over fences. Yeah, yeah, exactly. How about appreciate it? Would he look, he looked very he looked very assured? I thought he was. Uh, he's got um, he, you know he's, he's a second season novice for the want of a better word. He's uh, you know he, he was ready to run over fences last season. He was so at home, wasn't he? Looking at him jumping yesterday. It's where he'd been around chase tracks all his life. So he would. So um, I was very, very happy with what he did. I mean, he's obviously he's obviously a lovely big horse with a massive stride. Do you think he is a an out and out speed horse, or do you think he'll end up being a, a more of a distance horse? Well, at the moment, you'd be looking at the article for him. Anyhow, he wouldn't be he wouldn't be going any further. So um, you know, he'd no need to go any further anyhow. But I don't know. I think he's a relaxed horse. Uh, he'd be relaxed enough to go a longer trip, but why? You know, he could be a champion chase horse down the line. Okay. Um, listen, I'm not going to keep you. I know you're busy. I just wanted to ask you one question about the uh, the Leopardstown meeting and what you might run in that uh, big two mile hurdle. I'm, I know you got State Man in there. I realise Charge has won it four thousand times in the past. Is the plan to run both of them at the moment? Both will run there. Volban is still in the um, in the mix for there, so we will find a, a, an easier target. He is only four, and we will find a four-year-old race for him. But um, those who are in, in the lineup for that race, and yeah. Okay, and is Volban pleasing you a bit more now? He's coming along fine, but you know, he this time last year he was he was only coming right. He's he's only four. He's had when horses are trained at four, they take a bit of while to, a bit of time to get over it so and he's just taking his time and you come the spring is far enough away you know I'm not too worried about him yet right that was Willie Mullins few bits and pieces to take out of that the first thing is his apparent surprise as well as delight at just the way in which the horse accomplished what he did yesterday Galapande Shaw um, way better than I than I thought 
um, which strikes fear into the heart of any opponent, I would have thought. Yeah, that's an interesting one, I think, because um, I don't know what Willie Mullins was expecting. Afterwards, he used the uh, words grown up to to describe that performance. Um, Paul Townend said that it was professional. And I think that in using that snooker analogy earlier, um, a nine to two on shot wins the John Durkin and is cut from five to two to seven to four uh, for the Cheltenham Gold Cup. Now, you might say, really? What what exactly did he do? Well, he won by 13 lengths from a horse who is a, a four-time grade one winner in his own right. As we said, a, a horse who was exuberant before and a bit rough-hewn. It now looks much more professional. Many people looking at Galapagos Deschamps with regard to the Cheltenham Gold Cup uh, prior to yesterday, we would have thought, well, the Achilles heel with this horse is not his raw ability. We know all about that. It's not his jumping. Um, even though he came down at Cheltenham, it wasn't really a mistake. It was that he knuckled on landing. Um, the difficulty might have been the extended three and a quarter mile trip, especially if we got one of those years when it, it rains into the fourth day at Cheltenham and the ground is testing. But I think that yesterday, Galapin Deschamps went a long way towards assuaging uh, those concerns. Yeah, And the front of the market at the moment is dominated by horses whose main attribute is pace. We await the return of Aplutar, possibly in the Savills chase at Leopardstown over Christmas. Uh, L'Ompresse, we know, is now going to go to Kempton over Christmas for the King George, a horse that is certainly blessed with, with plenty of speed. So there are relatively fast horses dominating the front of the market for the Cheltenham Gold Cup. Galapin Deschamps might be the fastest and the best of the lot, judged on yesterday's performance. Other points to pick up out of that interview. Appreciate it. Definitely set for a clash with John Bon in the Arkle, Dave. Um it looks as though those two, barring accidents, will dominate the market for that race from here on in. They definitely will do. I mean, looking at that yesterday, I, I like to appreciate it. He made all the running under Paul Townend. Um, looking at the ratings over hurdles, he was 160 uh, on the back of that uh, demolition in the Supreme Novices of 2021. Um, Top Bandit, who was a seven-length second yesterday, is rated 134. So on the hurdles form, appreciate it was much the best horse in the race. That's why he started at odds of five to one on. Um, I thought that there was a really nice leap four out that put a couple of lengths uh, between him and Top Bandit. And although the runner-up got to him to challenge at the second last, I thought that appreciate it was a bit tight at the final fence, but he nevertheless went away to score by seven lengths. It didn't really happen for Appreciate It in his second season over hurdles. Remember that um, he was uh, absent from the declarations from the Irish champion hurdle at Leopardstown last February. Then he went to Cheltenham on the back of that 364-day absence. He didn't shine that day, finishing seventh behind Honeysuckle. But the, the portents, at least from a bloodless win over fences on his first start over the larger obstacles yesterday are very promising and if if people thought that uh, Jean Boy is a bit short at the head of the market at, at 11 to 8 well they've got an alternative uh, in the form of appreciate it an excellent horse over hurdles as a novice he's now 5 to 1 the other point I thought was interesting out of that interview is that unsolicited Willie Mullins brought Vauban into the conversation with my assumption that he wouldn't run 
together with um, Charger and, and State Man in the Matheson Hurdle at Leopardstown. He said he would try and find an easier opportunity for him or a, a four-year-old's opportunity for him. If if he couldn't, he might have to run him. But he, he did say that he wasn't happy with him until later in the season last year, which made me think that certainly all is not as lost as some of the whispers and rumours and murmurings suggest and that we could still be looking at a, a meaningful player in the two-mile championship hurdling division. Yeah, I mean, he he didn't make his debut, did he, until New Year's Day uh, last year. So if he follows that sort of pattern, and I know that old cliche about trainers being creatures of habit, it does seem to go double for Willie Mullins. There are quite a few horses of Mullins that we that we still wait to see, aren't there? Alaho, we may or may not see uh, before the Cheltenham Gold Cup. We've not seen Vauban, but at least we've seen Galapande Chant and appreciate it now at Punchtown yesterday, and they were both impressive in what they did. Now, the big freeze is followed by the big thaw, as those of us uh, struggling with burst pipes at the moment um, are only too aware. But what impact does that have on the state of the ground across the country, particularly with the big Boxing Day and New Year's fixtures approaching many of which of course will be will be televised which is is hugely welcome kempton is the showpiece on boxing day for the king george the sixth chase the christmas hurdle the long walk hurdle the quarto star novices chase four grade one races at kempton on boxing day on what conditions clark of the course barney clifford I'm currently good to soft, Nick. Um, we had uh, 10 mil rain well sorry 12 mil rain in total yesterday um it was partially, still partially frozen yesterday, if I'm honest. So to get a really good feel for it was quite difficult. But I'm leaving it as good to soft for now. There's further rain bands coming through. Um, certainly Friday looks possibly the wettest. Um, but we're in a good shape to, to take that rainfall. Okay, so it looks as though you're going to be on the on the easier side. Do you think there'll be any, any soft in it by the time you get to race day, judged on what you, you forecast? I think that's very possible. You know, if there's, there is rain forecast Christmas Eve and possibly some Christmas Day, um, I think the natural, if rainfall close to the, the fixture itself, obviously you would get soft appearing in the ground. But I think it's beautiful for all, you know. Good to soft, soft places shouldn't inconvenience anyone. Barney Clifford Clark of the course at Kempton Park. Mixture of good to soft and soft looks likely, which I'm sure will be... Relatively speaking, music to the ears of Venetia Williams, Andy Edwards and everyone involved with Lom Presse, who's been extremely well supported over the last few days since he was confirmed an intended runner in the Kempton showpiece. Now, turning our attentions back to Cheltenham and the festival and accommodation, David Yates. If you can't get into a hotel, you could take advantage of a glamping pod or from the photographs that I've seen published by today's Trade Daily, The Racing Post... Um, what looks really like a porter cabin on the training ground at Cheltenham Town Football Club, promising um, a bed and some Guinness, all yours for just shy of a grand. How do you like that? I've no plans to at this stage, although my my, um, my accommodation arrangements are somewhat uh, up in the air. The I used to rent a cottage in Tewkesbury, but unfortunately, the the couple who um, who used to uh, run that sideline retired uh, last year. I stayed with uh, our friend Steve Jones, uh, who lives just outside uh, Cheltenham. So we'll have to see. I mean, how did we get to this situation? In, in all seriousness, the the. Monopoly or cartel, I think, is a better word for the 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 
Cheltenham hoteliers. Um, inflating the prices to such a degree that uh, to stay four nights, no, five nights, isn't it? It starts at 900 and 50 quid for a twin room and it's not a room it's a it's a lorry container that's got two beds in it that that that, that becomes a, a viable option I, I think it's amazing this and but on a serious point i really hope that um this what i see as as profiteering and greed on the part of uh the the hotel trade at Cheltenham I hope that in the long term this doesn't come to bite them on the backside because those prices are absolutely ridiculous and the extent uh, of that now is that for 950 quid you can stay in a lorry container on a rugby training pitch for the thick end of a thousand quid for five nights it, it's amazing I, I you know I just wonder I wonder what the next instalment in in this is. I, I really do, but I and I really hope that for all the uh, the the challenges that we face in horse racing, and we talk about those on the Nick Luck Daily um, very often, the Cheltenham Festival eating itself as a result of the the greed of the local hotel trade i hope that's not another thing that we're going to have to deal with in the coming weeks because in all seriousness if i if i turn to if i turn to reach plc bosses and said it's 950 quid uh to stay in a lorry container for five nights i think they'd swallow that but they wouldn't go anywhere near uh the the prices that are being charged to, to stay in hotels for for this week it's 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 absolutely ridiculous all right, you might have seen yesterday, off to pastures new Emily Scott, who uh, we've spoken to on this podcast a few times in her role uh, when she was running Ammo Racing, has now moved back to High Clear Thoroughbred Racing as their director of racing, having been there in the not-that-distant past. Uh, Emily, why the move? Um, I, I basically always looking to further my career in whatever way I can, and I think that's why I originally left High Clear in the first place, to sort of get more experience and... Um, that took me back to work for a trainer um, who I knew a lot about already through High Clear um, in Roger Varian. And then um, after three years of, of, of getting all the experience I could there, I um, I moved on again and, and came back west towards Lambourne and um, and then happened to uh, meet up with, with Keir at the races. And, and, you know, it's been a whirlwind of a couple of years working with Ammo. Um, learned a lot again, um, you know, more about racehorse management, which has always been my role you know, been my, my aim to, to have a role like that. Um, and yeah, it's been a, you know, re- really exciting time to be, to be part of that growing team. Um, and then I, I discussed things with Kia, you know, as we got towards the end of this year and I said, I think I want to, you know, have another challenge uh, and focus on myself again in my career. Um, and so parted ways very amicably with, with, with that team. Um, and then, you know, it wasn't too long before um, High Clear came knocking and, um, and we discussed the sort of future of the company and and my role potentially that could be part of it. And you know, for me, I always loved my time there, and to be able to go back there in in a in a, in a role with more responsibility and um, having gained lots more experience, it was it was sort of a no brainer for me. And thrilled to be going back to a team I know well, um, and also a group of owners I know well. Mm. So you've been involved very recently with a a real innovator, a you might call a positive disruptor in the in the sport, I suppose. What do you hope to take back to High Clear, and, and what are your hopes to to develop it and, and grow it and change it? It's it's a company that, as you know, it's, it's been you know it's been around for for many years. I think it's always growing and changing, um, and I think 
the influence of, of younger people is always good. Um, I would still count myself as one of those people. And, and, it's, and it's a team effort. So there's always ideas flying around on, on how the company can be improved. And, you know, at the centre of that is, is Harry, who's, who's a real visionary um, and, and is always pushing for, for more. And I think, um, you know, the, 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 the sort of the waves they've made in, in Australia with sending horses down there is, is growing the company in, in that respect. Um, you know, they've got a, a growing team on the national hunt side as well. Um, and, and always looking looking at, at, at different countries as well as um, the quality of, of horses they have in the UK. So it's it's always growing and changing. And, 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 and every year is a new year, as you know, as the, as the next crop of horses comes in. So um, it will just be a matter of getting the most out of the horses, um, working working with the trainers to do that. And hopefully giving the the owners you know an experience they can't they can't match elsewhere. And Emily, a slightly different um, vibe today. You're off to Plumpton. Yes, um, I am. I I run a little family and friends syndicate with um, with Harry Whittington, and we have two horses. And amazingly, we're both running on the same card. So um, I'm off there um, with with two horses running over fences. And the, the rain was very welcome over the last two days. So hopefully they can both um, they can both start. And um, I think they're both second favourite um, as the market opened last night. So both with chances and um, just stay on their feet and um, give everyone a nice day. Now, for those people with reasonable memories, they'll remember these colours, won't they? The colours of, of decoupage, that very good chase with Charlie Edgerton. Absolutely, yeah. My uncle, they're registered in my uncle's name, James Dean, and he's part of um, part of the syndicate. Um, and we thought rather than get a new set of silks, let's use some some ones that have been carried to victory by some good horses. So um, and 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 more recently by our horse Vinnie Lewis, who won the Sussex National. So we're returning to Plumpton, the scene of our greatest triumph, to try and um, have some more success. Yeah, nine to four, challenging for favouritism, pole dark cross. And earlier in the earlier in the day, your other runner, Old Painless, is is ten to one. So maybe we'll just put them in a double, and we'll 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 check back in tomorrow. Yeah. Brilliant, Nick. Thank you. David, Adam McNamara, the rider who shot to fame when riding the winner of the Ebor handicap back in 2016 on Heartbreak City, has retired um, quite young. His career didn't really take off as, as might have been anticipated. That's exactly the way I would have put it, Nick. We wind the clock back to August 2016. Tony Martin runs Heartbreak City in the Ebor handicap. Sharp as a cutthroat razor, that trainer, as we know, and he was looking for a young jockey who could claim uh, to ride the six-year-old. And he turned to Adam McNamara, who was a five-pound claiming apprentice at the time, and they won by four lengths. So that looked to be uh, the harbinger of a of a, a very successful career for Adam McNamara. It didn't really take off, as you said. And at 25, he's decided to retire. That's on the back of 132 winners. I'm sure that uh, that August day in 2016, we would have forecast that uh, that total would have been multiples of what he actually achieved. But he now goes on to join the PGA, and that's going to be just as challenging uh, a career as the one that he's just had in the saddle I would say because there's plenty for them to chew at over the coming weeks and months uh, talking to the BHA about how they're going to implement and uh, make the new whip rules work so I'm not going to say out of the frying pan into the fryer but uh, certainly his new role will have its challenges. Well as we do at every time this week we go around the bloodstock world with our very good friends at Weatherby's and the stallions you are about to hear about can of course 
be viewed through the Weatherby Stallion reference tools, their stallion book, the Global Stallion app, National Hunt Stallions website, nhstallions.co.uk. I find that an invaluable resource. And their tie-up with the Racing Post website. Quite frankly, you couldn't want for a more complete reference tool, which is going to be very important today as we are checking in with Sibyl Gibson from Arada Montaigu. Um, and Sibyl is... Uh, fortunate enough to have under her care some of the the very best national hunt and dual purpose stallions standing in France. Uh, her mother, Aliette Vaurien, developed the stud as a significant stallion base, which began with the legendary Kendor, who was a champion sire in France, eventually a leading broodmare sire. And this gave way um, to uh, Nikos and, and Marteline, who became a, a wonderful sire, sire of Dinast and, and Very Wood. And the stud itself has pr produced a, a whole glut of Group 1 winners on the flat. I'm thinking of the likes of Ask for the Moon and Correcaminos and Literato. Uh, the introduction is not an overblown one, and uh, it gives me great pleasure to welcome Sibyl to the show today to talk about some of the stallions who are at the stud now and also about some exciting plans for the future. Sibyl, first of all, it sounds as though you've got big plans and plans to expand and 2022 has been a very good year. Yes, we have an amazing year with new clients, new stallions. We had to buy new land and uh, we've just opened a brand new barn that can fit 24 mares, so it's very practical for the staff and uh, full of light and perfect for the well-being of our horses. So yes, exciting new year. Take me back a little bit to your your personal very, very earliest memories of, of the stud and how it developed as you were growing up. Uh, my mom started that uh, 40 years ago after my grandfather and uh, she's uh, worked so hard and with my uh, stepfather and they produced a fantastic uh, fantastic uh, stud because they brought uh, a few mares and, and they brought, you know, Rotina, who was the founding uh, mares of her of of operation. So, yeah, very proud of them. And it, what have you tried to to instill in the place since since you took the reins? What what were the what are the uh, the, the sort of philosophies that your your mother and, and your stepfather laid down that you've tried to follow? Well, continue to find new clients, new faithful clients, and obviously finding some new, new stallions because uh, this is our our brand, and uh, you know finding some stallions interesting like Norris Catol and Bo McDowell, and and um, it's it's um, it's our philosophy, and we have very faithful clients, um, and uh, they are very. Um, they are very continuing to support our horses, our, our stallions. So it's very exciting. What's your secret, Sibyl, do you think? Because you know, I read out those names. We're not just talking about good French national hunt stallions. We're talking about ones that have made a significant impact on the breed. Some studs are lucky enough to have one of those, two of those. You've probably had three or four. I know it's amazing. Well, and these horses, they were good on the flat and not on the, they, 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 they never jumped. So uh, I think the, the the secret is to find some new French uh, stallions on the flat that can become some amazing um, jump stallions. And you know that uh, people want uh, to turn a foot and I think it, it comes from the flat. So it, it, I don't know if it's a secret, but this is how we work. I guess everyone just has different ways of doing it. I mean, we ought to talk about no risk at all because his his results have been remarkable over the last over the last few seasons. Could you have could you have in any way predicted what he would achieve? 
<laughs> no, no, no. But he was, uh, you know, we worked very closely with Mr. Gallorini, Jean-Paul Gallorini, and he always thought of his horses, of his horse, sorry, and he sent one of his best mares, and how this is how it started. And to be honest, Jean-Paul Gallorini, Gallorini um, he, he worked so hard with his sire, uh, talking to breeders and um, uh, bringing some breeders to him, so he helped. He helped us a lot doing uh, what we did with Nores Catol. Uh, I, one thing I always think is interesting is the, the sort of variable strengths of his progeny, from Epaton to Stella de Menil to Folsom Prism to, to Alaho, particularly his his real steeplechasing star. Is there is can you identify one characteristic that his progeny seem to seem to possess? They are very uh, straightforward, very calm horses, very easy to train, very good mentality, and I think it's the turn of foot. Uh, Look, the turn of foot is amazing because uh, they finish, <laughs> they finish like champions, each of them. And I suppose the, the as you say, the, the secret is to try and find a, a horse to follow in his footsteps. You mentioned Bomek Duel earlier on. I think it's the second time this horse has had a mention on this on this podcast, and we're waiting for the the first three year olds to, to to hit the track. Um, yeah. h- how do you think he's going to go? Well, he he starts uh, at the stud is quite amazing. Uh, we we sold we sold horses very well, and uh, the good thing is uh, is uh, that French good French trainers uh, have a progeny of Pomegranate, so this is very exciting. And uh, we have just bought another exciting horse called Technician, the mm. son of Master Craftsman. So we might uh, you know we might do the same with this horse. is uh, is uh, exciting prospects for a dual purpose. And uh, he's very easy to make because he's out cross. So, voila, this is the future. <laughs> do, do you think in France it's easier to, to stand what you would quite happily market as a dual-purpose stallion than, say, it is in, in Britain or Ireland, where we tend to be a little bit more restrictive in in how we look at stallions? Well, uh, yes, because they are French breeders. They, they breed uh, either um, flat and uh, national hunt and... They are quite. Um, uh, they, they like to test. So, um, for instance, for technician, uh, I have people from uh, the flat and the national hunt who tried his this horse, and uh, we'll see how it works. So they're just maybe a little bit more open-minded. Dare I say it? Yes, I think so. Yes, I think. And, and for Jingle Secret, is the same. Jingle Secret is a strong horse. Is he was a German champion, and we've had uh, people from uh, Flat and on uh, National Hunt. And he has uh, he has f- his first two years old uh, winners from his first crop, so it will be easier next year again. Now, a lot of the horses we've talked about are horses you've taken right from the outset. Now, I'm interested to know how you how you deal with a horse like Flincher, who's already had a mini career in in America as a stallion and is now relocated to you is that harder to, to get him going um it's it's not because he's a he's a such a stunning horse and he's, he's coming from the best judgment family um 
But uh, we he sired 72 mares this year. Yes, it, it was not easy, easy. But this year we will it will be open to the dual purpose, and we, he will marketing it for uh, again national hand breeders. So we might uh, we he, he might be easier next year. I don't suppose you're going to get too many jumps mares to Dabis Sim. Was was that quite a nice surprise to to get him? Yeah, yeah, we've used him, we've used the horse every year since he came back to France, so he was very exciting, he's a stunning horse, and he had many, many winners again this year, and uh, the best to come, I think, and uh, yeah, he's a very exciting uh, sire for us, he comes from Aha de Cancan, who just stopped his uh, breeding, his um, covering operation, and we also stand Chamalgan for the same client. Chamalgan produced a Group One winner this year, and uh, so yeah, he's um, those two horses are very exciting. And uh, again, we, we've used WCM each year, so we know the horse very well, and he he works well with our with our lines. And, and Jimmy Two Times is not a horse that many of our listeners will know an awful lot about, but he was a, a very talented horse, and and you've got you've got that Kendall line going again. Exactly, we we just love the Kendall like line, as you say. Uh, we've used Kendarjan a lot too, and uh, Jimmy Two Times was very pre- precocious and talented horse, trained by Andre Fam, which we know, and uh, he'll have his first French two years old next year in France. So yeah, he's very exciting. And in terms of what you've achieved on the track, I started the interview by saying you've had a great 2022. What's been the highlight for you, Sibyl? What victory has given you the most pleasure? Uh, we've had uh, over 10 black type winners this year so they, it's it's very exciting for us coming from accent consignment and breed um, the best result would be uh, Irezin who won the group 1 uh, Prix Royal Oak we were very proud of Spirit Gal who, owns, who is owned by a Canadian client she won a blistered and then run in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies and we, we went there so we, it was very funny and uh, we also bred Ville de Grasse. Ville de Grasse was second in a group two in, in England and sold for two million guineas at Tats this year so yeah we had a very uh, exciting um, uh, uh, homebred um, on the tracks this year. And what about the people at uh, Aja de Montagu? Who who is it that's really making the making the whole enterprise sing? Apart from apart from you, of course. Apart from me and my mum, uh, we have a we're very lucky to have a very dedicated and faithful team, which is very difficult uh, in the time being because the people don't really want to work. You know, it, it's hard for for our. our our uh, company and and country life but uh, people they, they tend to stay with us some people are here for, for with us for over 20 years so we are very very lucky to have these people and and they work hard and are, have a good atmosphere in the state so it's uh, it's very exciting my thanks to Sabil and all my guests today David Yates is still with me and David has a tip for you for this afternoon yeah, I'm going to go for the Widowmaker in the 250 race at Ludlow this afternoon. A horse that is very much at home on soft ground. Only went over fences, was over two miles and three. Comes back to the minimum distance here, but scored over two miles as a hurdler. And I hope can go one better after a second to paint the dream at Newbury last time. It's the 250 race at Ludlow today. Selection is number four, the Widowmaker.
David, thank you very much. Thank you very much for listening. That was Tuesday, December the 20th. We'll be back to do it all over again tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.